This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. Today, I'm really excited because I am here with Sasha Tozy, and Sasha and I sort of you know, met through mutual friends and it's, it's just awesome. But Sasha, thank you so much for coming on and joining me. Annie, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. That's awesome. So what I love to do is just kind of start, you know, really with your story. So, um, you know, as far back as you want to go, I'd love to hear it. Sure. My story. So how long do you want my story to be? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, 15 minutes or something. Like I I want the details. (laughs) Okay, cool. So, um, yeah, I, so let's see. So I'm, I'm 32 now and I, it came to my attention that I had a problem. I had problematic drinking habits and behaviors from like the first time I ever drank at like 15. And when I was 20 years old, I, um, uh, my family sort of staged like, a an informal intervention on me for, um, really my cocaine use, but the alcohol was in the mix, of course. And every time I drank, I wanted to use drugs. So it was, it was both of them. And, um, a bunch of people were trying to like would confront me about like you have a problem you know you need to you need to like get a hold of this and i was 20 years old and i just thought to myself like i'm too young like i'm too young to have a problem i this is what kids my age are doing this is what people in college do they binge drink cuz i was a binger like i was a partier and a binger and i could go days without doing anything. So I just didn't, it wasn't in my definition of like what an alcohol, well, if you even use the term alcoholic, what an alcoholic looks like. Um, and so I wasn't convinced that I had an issue. I was convinced that I could control it and that I, you know, I really, I grew up in a Catholic Italian family and Um, it was all about like, my dad was very strict and very, um, where there's a will, there's a way. And so I thought that I just had to try harder to control it. I I thought that I was the problem and that I just had to figure out a way to like control my intake. But every time I tried, I failed. So I just felt like a failure. And then when a couple more years of that, um, a couple more years of like getting blackout drunk, doing tons of things that I don't remember and that I'm, that I was, you know, that I would experience so much shame from the next day. um, I just got to a point where I was, I had just turned 26 years old and I was seeing a therapist and I was in school I was finishing my undergrad. So I was like, I had went back to school. Like I'd taken a long break. I was working in the restaurant industry, which by the way, just like breeds drug addiction. And, um, 
I had gone back to school to finish my psychology degree and I was seeing a therapist and the therapist in, in, in our session was just like, she just, um, she, she handed me an AA pamphlet and I, I really liked this particular therapist. I felt like I was vulnerable with her. I felt like um, I could let my guard down. I wasn't being judged. She wasn't super, you have to do this or like, you have a problem and you need to get help. She was very gentle. And that's, that's just the approach that, that worked for me. Like I was able to really hear what she was saying and she didn't say much. She just kind of handed me the pamphlet and I decided to check out a meeting. And so that was my introduction to sobriety was through AA and you know that it's, um, you know, AA doesn't work for everybody. It's not everybody's cup of tea. It was, I didn't really like it in the beginning, um, but I grew to respect the foundations and the fundamentals that I learned in AA. And I really adopted the idea of like, take what you want and leave the rest. So I just saw it as like another tool, like in, in a box of tools, not really the end all be all, but just like, oh, I can go to this place that has a lot of people that are sharing authentically from their hearts and just see myself in their stories and just connect. And that's what I really loved about it. Even though I didn't like going and I was super socially anxious, I, um, I liked hearing, I liked listening to people's stories, like how people do now on podcasts, like, you know, just listening to people's stories and hearing bits of your own in there and really getting to feel understood. Um, so that's how it started. That's how my, my sobriety journey started. I got, I got really into yoga at the same time and I got serious about my practice and, um, so just on another level of healing, that was integral for my physical healing, like my body healing. And um, when and you were, you said you were 15 when you took your first drink, basically. Yeah. And so when you were 15, I mean, was there anything major going on or was it just completely social and was it that you loved it from the beginning? I'm just kind of curious about how. Oh, sure. So I guess I, yeah, I didn't spend too long there. Um, so when I was 15, I, well, I remember like the first time I drank, it was at a party and I was at, I was at a party with upperclassmen. Like, so I was an incoming freshman high school and I was, um, on cross country and I was invited to this party with like older people and I had I had three older siblings so I was exposed already to their partying and to like like just kind of having like a shoe in to the cool crowd um yeah. and so I went to this party and like I was naturally just like painfully shy and did not really know how to talk and converse, especially to guys. So for me, it was, it was a way to just 
it was a, a cure for my social anxiety in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what it, it, it did. When I found it and when I realized that like I could be confident and talkative and not afraid when I drank, I was like, wow, this is the cure. <laughs> this is the magic. I thought I had found the answer. You know, I didn't realize that it was, that it was, it, that I, it was within me and I could have, um, I could have cultivated that. I really just thought it was in the drink. Um, yeah. So, but I will say like at that time I was very, um, I was a great student, conscientious, um, really hardworking, attentive, but I was super sensitive. I was very insecure. I was very self-conscious and um, I had already been struggling with like clinical depression and clinical anxiety. Actually, I was, I was see, I had, my parents had sent me to the doctor and so I was like an easy target to start abusing alcohol, you know? Yeah. Like I always, um, so according to some studies that I'd read, basically there was a differentiator and this is one doctor's sort of opinion, but there was a differentiator between people who have their first drinks and who are really not experiencing emotional pain and social anxiety is very painful. I mean, it's incredibly painful. You feel exposed and vulnerable and um, uneasy and uncomfortable in your own skin. And you feel like there's something wrong with you because everybody else is perfectly seeming fine in these social situations. And so, you know, people on one hand who have not experienced this emotional pain and they have their first drink, there isn't um, that instantaneous, like, where's this been all my life? This is the thing, right? Um, Yeah, they get tipsy, but often that tipsiness isn't even that pleasant for them. Whereas on the other hand, somebody who has their first drink and is in deep pain, whether it's like depression or social anxiety or just anxiety in general, it has a completely different effect. And so this one theory is basically that you know, addiction breeds much, much faster as soon as we start to use it, even unknowingly, to self-medicate. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like that was very true in your experience. Oh, that was absolutely the case. You know, it was um, a short-term cure. Like in the moment, yeah. it worked, right? Yeah. But long, long-term, it actually created more depression, more anxiety, which you know. And... Um, but I think, I think using it as a form of self-medication is, is very prevalent. Yeah. Yeah. That's really where it is. And then you said when you were 20, your parents kind of took you aside about like drugs and alcohol. And I mean, what was that sort of, what was that like? Um, like it sounds like, sorry, what was that last part? Yeah. Was it really, I mean, I, I'm just trying to, yeah, imagine, did you feel, were you really rebelling at that time? So you're like, didn't really care or you found kind of another identity or is it? So I guess, so what, how it went down was I was working at a restaurant and the employer, my employer called my sister to let her know that I was like, really, I was getting, I was, 
I was using cocaine like all the time and that, that she was worried about me and worried about, um, I was really, really reckless. So like, I, like one night I just like climbed the side of someone's house down from the second floor, the balcony, trying to get in someone's window to get more drugs. And I fell and I landed on my back and like I came to, and I don't know how long I had been there for. And it was like, I mean, I could have died probably for sure. And so, so these stories would get around about like all the ways that I was endangering myself and driving drunk all the time, but never getting a DUI. And um, my employer called my sister, my sister called my mom. They, they sort of like got me over, got me to come over to the house. And I had no idea what was going on because I was in my own world. Like I was in my own, I was in a haze. I was, I was getting to work, but I mean, I, I waited tables. So I would get to work at like 3 p.m. So I would party all night and stay up all night. And then um, by like 9 a.m., I would try to sleep for a few hours. And I was so out of it and strung out that like, my mo- when I got to my mom's house and they were all kind of standing there and my mom took me in the bedroom and it was just her. And I thought she was going to tell me that, like, my grandmother passed away. I really was absolutely clueless. Like, and I thought I was fooling everybody. So, like, I thought I was, like, kind of keeping it under wraps. And I wasn't at all. And um, she was just like, it's you. I said, I said, what's happening? Like, is it Nana? And she's like, no, it's you. Like, it's you, you're not okay. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, just, you know, just in denial. And, um, and I was in such denial. And I, I mean, I didn't even get sober then I I waited another six years. So um, that was it was still a pivotal moment. Like it was it looking back, it planted it planted a seed. I had tried to get sober then, um, and I just, it just didn't take, but it was kind of like a stepping stone, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's cool. That's, I mean, it's amazing how we do that, how things can kind of be falling apart around us, and (laughs) we're still just... thinking we've more deep down on note, like we're not fooling ourselves, but it takes, you know, it's almost like there's two minds inside the same head. The one that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, so then 26 is when you finally were like, okay, I'm going to give this a try. And, and it stuck. Is that yet? Is that true? Yeah, it stuck. And I wasn't, um, you know, I wasn't necessarily planning on it long-term. I just was like, I've said this before, but I just wanted to get out of my pain and like out of the shame. 
And I, a lot of times the things that, that I would do drunk or high for that matter would leave me in such shame and pain that I would, I would become suicidal. And I was already like battling depression anyway. So it was just a compounding effect. Um, so when I finally, at 26, I was just like, okay, if I don't sort of try this, then like, I don't see myself making it to 30. Like, um, and that's, that's the attitude I had going in, but I wasn't, I was just like, I'm just going to try this and see how it goes. Like I kind of would, I told all my drinking friends that I was like doing a detox, like, because sometimes I would do that. I was, I was into exercise and, and health and wellness. So I would go on like these, these pad, these binges where like for a couple months I would be like a health freak and I wouldn't drink and I would exercise, I would eat healthy. So I was just kind of portraying it to people like it was another one of those. But then as time went on, you know, I, more, more truth was revealed to me that like this really had to be a long-term decision. It was the best thing for me. And I got a lot of pushback from my family actually like interestingly enough like they you know people don't understand there's a there's a lot of myths and a lot of um lack of awareness around what what addiction really is what it looks like and some of them said to me like are are you really sure you need to quit drinking like isn't that a little premature? Like, do you really want to? And I, since I was using AA at the time, and you know, part of AA is is kind of owning owning the label in a way as a as a form of not letting it own you. And so they were like, "You really want to label yourself an alcoholic? Like, that's kind of in, that's kind of serious. It's kind of intense. Like, I don't think it was that bad." And I was just like, what the hell? Like, first of all, you guys like had an intervention on me. And now you're telling me like you're that, that it was like, I can just get over it or something. <laughs> right. That's crazy. So, um, but yeah, so as, as time went on, like, so obviously it's been, I'll have like seven years in September and wow. it's been like, it's changed shape so much. Like it's just really evolved. And every day that I stay sober and kind of, it's not just about being sober. It's about kind of like being in, in my life, being like present to my life. So being sober enables me to do that. And so I get to learn and grow so much and um, like have things today that I never would have had if I didn't, if I didn't first decide to just let go of that way of life. That's so awesome. <clears throat> you said something 
about, you know, just being painfully shy. And so how have you dealt with that without, you know, the crutch? <sighs> That's a good question. So, um, well, there's not really a simple answer to that, but I'll say that I, for a while in my sobriety, it was, it was still a, a huge pain point. So I sort of became like a hermit because I didn't, it would cause me so much anxiety to just, to just go to social events that the only way for me to, for a while, I just like avoided going to social events. And now um, I know myself a lot better and I've challenged myself a lot in terms of like, in terms of doing things that make me feel uncomfortable and, and knowing that I can get through it. But I also give myself permission to like be who I am. So like not making myself wrong for every little personality quirk I have, like, and just sort of um, accepting myself as I am. But I will say that one of the things that came in handy for me about being in the rooms of 12 step was that I, it was where I learned how to have a voice. Like it was where I learned how to speak up and share. And it took me two to three years to um, be comfortable to raise my hand and share what was going on. Like I would have anxiety attacks every time I went to a meeting and every time they would like, if they would call on people randomly, I would just be sitting there the whole time, like freaking out. And eventually I got to a point where, as I said, about two to three years in where I was, I was really hindering my own growth because I was keeping so much inside. Mm -hmm. I wasn't, I wasn't, sharing, I wasn't letting people get to know me, um, that I just had this, I had this turning point where I, I remember like I volunteered to share and I shared and it felt so liberating. Um, and I really needed to share, like I needed that space and I needed, um, to feel heard. And it was so therapeutic that now I, I, I almost can't leave a meeting without sharing. <laughs> so like, I've just changed my relationship with what it, with what it means to like be heard. And I also have done a lot of work, um, in, in being assertive and being confident. So like for me, working with my social anxiety has really been about increasing my confidence levels and my self-esteem and self-worth and, um, and learning, learning how to like 
ask for what I want and ask for what I need. So, so that takes away some of the, the fear of being with people. So it's so awesome because <clears throat> what you're basically describing is, okay, so there was this crutch, this bandaid, and you could slap it on, but then it had all these unwanted side effects. Um, but actually, even if you have just like crippling anxiety, you can do the work and put the time in and understand and get to know yourself where, to where it just doesn't, you know, because you would have never struck me like I've known you for a little while now and like never as, you know, someone who has social anxiety. In fact, I thought you were like really outgoing. So like, that's awesome. You know, just say that that's how far you can really come um, to where you really create a life that you don't need to drink to escape from, you know, which is such a cool thing. Exactly. And like you can, you can get through things without drinking. You can kind of use your internal your inner um, wisdom and, and there's always like a, there's always a way you can figure it out. You can, um, there's so many tools. And so, and also just knowing that like, I'm not the only one that's ever experienced anxiety or um, uh, I mean, I still get it and I still get from time to time, it varies in terms of intensity and it's much, much, much less than it used to be. But there are certain circumstances that will just like trigger that anxious default response of like a lot of times performance, performance anxiety when I, when I know I'm going to be like watched or, um, or graded, you know, um, and things like that, um, but even even those things are like I'm able to get through them. That's awesome. That's so cool. And now you help other people do the same, right? In your work, you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, um, well, yeah, anxiety is one of the things that I can that I work with people on, but I work with. Um, I've been coaching for like three or four years and I work with people in recovery, um, getting into recovery and then really thriving in recovery. So connecting into their purpose and their power and their joy. So just because like I've found that many people get sober and then it's like they treat it like a life sentence or something like life can't be good anymore right and it's quite frankly the opposite and so just working with people on that and really because because getting sober to me is such a self-discovery process I just partner with people and as their coach, um, I am the person that they're accountable to. And I show them basically where their blind spots are because we all have them. Right. And like, it's so valuable for, I work with a coach and I, um, being able to be a coach to others is extremely rewarding. And I recently 
and I know I've told you this, Annie, but I recently got trained in a form of therapy called rapid transformational therapy. And it's um, like, it's hypnotherapy and it blends a bunch of different schools of thought. And it is um, one of the most like transformative things I've, I've personally experienced. So I got trained in it so that I could deliver it. And it's, it's basically a way to, I've paired it with coaching for people. So, um, but it's, it's extremely effective and it's extremely fast in getting to the root cause of things because, because in hypnosis, like you can access your subconscious mind so easily and really getting to the root cause and then changing, changing the meaning of certain events that happened in the past and the way that they're holding you back today. And it, it's so incredibly like, it sort of feels like magic that you just like, I'm so stoked because this all just happened and I just recently got certified. So I've been, I've been doing sessions since I got back and I'm just amazed at the power of, of this um, technique. And so it's my work with people is a blend of, coaching and rapid transformational therapy. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if you're better to like answer this as a coach or based on your own experience, but you know, having, having somebody, there's a lot of people who ac ask me, you know, well, my daughter or my sister or my husband, like they're drinking too much. I want to talk to them about it. How should I go about talking to them about it? And, um, obviously you had an experience with people talking to you, but then also your coaching. So I'd love to just hear your thoughts on, on that question. Like if somebody has a loved one who's stuck or suffering and like how, what is the best way to bridge the topic? Um, so th that's a really good question too. And I'll, I'll share a little tidbit from my personal experience with that because, um, I had a family member who was really, really struggling with alcohol abuse, like to, to a severe level. Um, um, it's, it's always severe in my opinion, but it was, it was like low bottom. Um, and I didn't know what to do. And, and being a coach, I thought I was supposed to know what to do and that I, I should know exactly what to do. And I should be able to, and should in air quotes, I should be able to, um, to fix this or something. And I, I ended up, that was actually when I started getting into my codependency work because I realized like how much, um, like how it was affecting me and just how much, um, like some of my, some of my ways of relating to them and relating to anyone who has a problem were just extremely codependent. And I started going to Al-Anon and learning really the best ways to, um, help someone without being controlling, without being enabling, without being um, 
um, obsessed with trying to help them and save them and rescue them. So I learned so much in that process and I'm still learning every day, but to answer your question, um, I think one of the best ways to approach a loved one who's suffering is to let them know that you love them and that you're there for them, that you're a safe space if they ever want to talk. Um, and maybe ask them questions, like ask them some really, some open-ended, non-judgmental um, questions, like how have you been feeling lately? Um, what's going on? Like, like really creating a safe space for them to open up because if you, if you go at it from any other angle, like most people I know that are abusing drugs or alcohol are going to get super defensive and kind of shut you out. And you want to keep the line of communication open. And that's not to say that like, it, that's not to say that you can't ever do the tough love thing. Cause I think that works too depending on the circumstance and the person and all of that. It's really a case by case thing. But in general, I would just let the person know that, um, that you're there for them to talk to and, and just like get curious about their life and um, maybe ask them some questions that are going to plant a seed, but without making them feel like they're being attacked. Yeah, that's great. That's really good advice. Thank you. All right. So I have two more questions for you, Sasha, and this has been awesome. First of all, um, where can people find you if they are, you know, curious about working with you or more about um, rapid transformational therapy and, you know, stuff that you do? Yeah. So I have a website. It's SashaPTazi.com. And, um, that's that's a good way to reach me. I have blog posts. I have a contact form, and then I'm on Instagram. I'm really active on there, um, Sasha Tazi, and I'm on Facebook. I'm really active on there, and I have a Facebook group, um, and it's by it's by approval only. So you just if you click on, I have the link to the link is in my. Um, is in my Facebook profile, but it's Soul Power Recovery is the group name. And if you search it, you can find it and then you can just ask to join. So um, it's, it's, a, it's a really, it's a great community group of people that are committed to their recoveries and really committed to their, to their individual growth. And I'm, I'm in there a lot just about I'm in there daily post posting um, things to I post questions to get you to think um, and to get you to really like dig into what's going on for you and to be in that process of inquiry and then I post um, I post lots of different things like um, inspiration and all these other things. And I do live trainings in the group too. That's so, awesome. so all of those places. And then 
um, from my website, you can always send me a personal email or um, a direct message through Instagram or Facebook is fine too. That's awesome. Very cool. All right. So last question. Um, if you could go back and like tell Sasha, you know, 20 years old, what life is like kind of on this other side, what would you tell her? <gasps> oh my God. <laughs> I would say that, um, I would say that it's more beautiful than you can even imagine. It's everything that you deserve that you don't even know you deserve. And um, that it's the best, it's the best thing you'll ever do for yourself. That's awesome. That gave me chills. <laughs> so good. Well, thank you so much, Sasha. Thank you, Amy. Like, really an honor. So lovely. I love talking to you, and I'm just really stoked to be here. You're so. You're so lovely and authentic and just like um, joyful. Yeah, that's all because I stopped drinking probably. <laughs> I don't think that was all true before, but that's awesome. It was, it was there before. It was just hidden. It was just hidden, just yeah. buried. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you so much. This has been great. This has been Annie Grace with This Naked Mind Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can learn more at thisnakedmind.com. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe as it really helps us spread the word.